Welcome to the Autumn Ridge Women's Podcast, where we explore God's Word, not simply to learn more about the Bible, but to consider how to apply its wisdom. I'm your host, Svea Mary, and each week I'm joined by talented women from our congregation. We invite you to imagine yourself sitting here with us, enjoying a great discussion as friends about God and how His Word helps us take our next steps to become the women God intends for us to be. Today, we are going to be looking at two stories that I think are just exquisitely beautiful. They're two stories from Luke chapter 7, specifically verses 1 through 17. And in both of these stories, we're going to see Jesus do some amazing things in miracles of healing. And I was excited to pair these two stories together as we were choosing what passages we would feature in the series on Luke, as we look to see from Luke what it means to be a full devoted follower of Jesus. These two stories I chose to put together, not just because they're both stories about healing, but because we see some incredible things about faith, remarkable faith in the first story, and about compassion, remarkable compassion in the second story. I am thrilled that joining me today is Michaela Park. Michaela was a, a guest on our podcast last season, and we're glad that she's back. Welcome, Michaela. Thank you, Savea. I'm so happy to be here with you. I'm glad you're here with me, too. Uh, Michaela and I have really enjoyed studying Luke 7 together um, over the last days and weeks. And Michaela, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about why you've been enjoying these stories and maybe help to put them into context for us? Sure. Um, So as I um, like to see everything in context Mm -hmm. um, in the Bible, I think it helps us to understand um, what Jesus, what God is telling us. Um, So this is um, written in the book of Luke, written by Luke, a Gentile physician and historian. Mm -hmm. Um, He was not an apostle of Jesus, but became a follower after the resurrection. Mm -hmm. He is also the author of Acts. And um, he wrote this letter to confirm that what he had researched in studying and interviewing people uh, about Jesus was true that Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promises according to Jewish history. Mm-hmm. This book is uh, very special, I think, in that um, Luke was a Gentile, so he's not he didn't grow up in the Jewish faith. So it has a special emphasis on, Ju- on Jesus's sympathy towards non-Jewish people. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something that's going to be a key feature of the first study that we're or story that we're studying. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, um, he features um, women and uh, groups outside of the Jewish community, Mm -hmm. um, outcasts and outsiders um, of the Jewish faith um, uh, who received Jesus's um, sympathy and love. Mm -hmm. And this uh, is unexpected. Yeah, thank you for bringing that out, because I think it's a beautiful thing when we think of the perspective that the author had in writing this and why he chose to feature certain stories. Certainly, there wasn't room for him to record everything that he Mm -hmm. knew to be true about Jesus. So Mm -hmm. he chose these particular stories for a reason. And and I love that you bring that out, that Luke specifically had a heart for people that that maybe weren't the classic people you might expect Jesus Mm -hmm. to be showing such love and compassion to. Mm -hmm. As we're going to see today. Mm-hmm. Um, the first uh, passage, um, it takes place um, immediately after Jesus names his 12 disciples. Mm-hmm. 
And um, after his great sermon, which ended by challenging the listeners to put into practice what they've learned. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it's going to highlight for us some really important um, aspects of what it means to be a devoted follower of Jesus. Absolutely. In this first section, we're going to see a lot about the faith of a fully devoted follower. So why don't we turn to that? Let's go okay. to Luke chapter 7. Okay. And uh, maybe I'll start us off by just reading the first couple of verses, and then we can pull out some significant things from those verses. Okay. So Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 1, says, After he had finished all his sayings, and that was Jesus in the the great sermon that we looked at last week on the podcast, after he had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent sent to him elders of the Jews asking him to come and heal his servant." Now, Michaela, can you explain to us, like, who's who's the centurion? <laughs> right. Uh, the centurion was a soldier um, in within the Roman army, mm-hmm. and he had um, he was highly ranked because he commanded about a hundred men under him. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it, what's really um, stands out to me is that that the centurion is part of a political group that was responsible for systematically suppressing the Jewish people. Yeah, and. Um, and he hears about Jesus, and um, he asks the elders of the Jews to seek help because he has a slave that is dear to him um, that uh, he doesn't want uh, to die. And um, and it's so interesting that mm-hmm. he chooses to seek Jesus out. Uh, we were talking earlier about Roman culture and the number of gods that he that they would have had. Right. It wasn't that he was out of resources or ideas of, of who to turn to, but something about what he had heard about Jesus was significant to him, and that right. he had confidence that Jesus was the one true God, the right God to turn to for help when he needed help with right. his sick servant. And another thing that stands out to me, too, is is that the centurion had the authority um, and the soldiers under him to even command Jesus to come mm. and um, heal his slave. But um, instead, he sought the help of the Jewish elders. Mm-hmm. Um, um, in addition, he, um, he had a slave that he cared for enough that um, he, he sought to get healing for him. He could have easily replaced the slave, mm. um, I'm sure, with someone else that um, did the work that he wanted him to do. But but he cared enough about this person. So I think that shows the centurion's character. Yeah, absolutely. You're right. I think we really do start to see the character of this man beginning to emerge here and that he wasn't trying to coerce anyone, mm-hmm. uh, Jesus specifically, into coming to him just because of his powerful position uh, and, and, and demonstrating his heart, his compassion for mm-hmm. the people that were serving him, that he mm-hmm. had such a heart for this sick servant that he had. Let's keep going. Verse okay. 4 says, when they came to Jesus, now this is the Jewish elders that the centurion sent, when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly saying, he, the centurion, is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation and he's the one who built our synagogue. Mm-hmm. I think it's so fascinating that these Jewish elders are earnestly pleading with Jesus to help their Roman friend. Um, like the centurion highly valued his servant, these Jewish elders clearly valued the centurion. Mm-hmm. And I think they did because, as they said, he's worthy because he loves our nation 
and he built a synagogue for us. Mm-hmm. Um, it's clear that the Jewish elders believed in Jesus's ability to heal, mm-hmm. and yet I think they were highly motivated to um, help out, to offer help to someone who is their ally. Yeah. Yeah, it is interesting. And it could have been purely noble. They could have just dearly loved this guy like a friend. But mm-hmm. but it is fascinating that what they point to is, Jesus, we want you to help this guy because he has a good feeling with us. He's, <laughs> he loves our he loves our people. Mm-hmm. And he built the synagogue. And probably not that he like built it brick by brick himself, but right. that likely financed right. the building of, of their place of worship there. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's fascinating that they've got this this partnership. Mm-hmm. It does, I think, reveal more of the centurion's noble character here that the Jews are expressing him as worthy mm-hmm. um, with with the, the way that it would not have been a natural fit for a Roman centurion and Jewish elders to be such good friends. Right. Um, so there clearly is something special about this guy. Right. But I feel like this part of the passage really is a focus on Uh, Jesus, you need to do this for us because this guy loves us. Mm -hmm. And it's not about Jesus. It's about them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's an excellent point. They're not not necessarily treating Jesus with the same respect that Mm -hmm. we're seeing of the centurion in this passage. Mm -hmm. Let's keep going with that because we're going to see even more about that in the coming paragraph. Uh, Verse 6 says, And Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. And then he goes on to say, for I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. I I, I think it's so fascinating that that's the context that the centurion uses to talk to Jesus. He's relating to Jesus as one who has authority, Mm -hmm. that he's recognizing that, uh, Jesus, I totally believe that you are who you say you are, and Mm -hmm. you can do what you say you can do. You don't even need to be present. Mm -hmm. I believe you have the authority to heal um, even at a distance. Mm And how fascinating that he doesn't think he's worthy of having Jesus in his home. Yes, or to even meet him in person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, some scholars suggest that it's possible that the centurion, obviously with the friendship that he had with these Jewish elders, may have understood enough about Jewish culture that he was aware that they had some rules in those days about entering Gentile homes, and he didn't want to put Jesus in an awkward position or or ask anything extra of him, um, which is just kind of a kind thing that mm-hmm. uh, that he's he's showing some respect and consideration mm-hmm. for Jesus's culture, even mm-hmm. though he wasn't part of it, mm-hmm. or it could just simply be humility, right. Right. Well, he does say at the end of this section that he understands what it means to be under authority. He's got men that will do what he says, will do what he bids. And I think he recognizes that Jesus is also under, also has the authority to to command things to happen. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it may not be something physical, but uh, he obviously has, um, has believes in without a doubt that Jesus has the power to heal. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I think that belief is really important. I think it's a wonderful thing for us to hone in on here in this mm-hmm. part of the passage. Um, this idea that the fully devoted follower of Jesus has faith that Jesus is who he says he is and mm-hmm. can do what he says he can do is is really key. Um, it, it brings to mind what Romans 4 says is why Abraham deserved credit um, for his faith as being counted to him as righteousness was when Abraham also in Romans 4, 21 and 22 mm-hmm. um, basically is saying he was fully convinced that God could do what he promised. And mm-hmm. that's why God counted his faith to him as righteousness. Yes. And so even the centurion here is he's giving us an example of someone who, who could do the same thing, who could recognize Jesus, you are the one who has the power to heal. Mm -hmm. And and I have faith that you can do what you say you can do. Mm -hmm. Yes. I also think it's interesting that uh, that he describes himself not as just a man who's who's familiar with being in an authority situation, Mm -hmm. but that he's set under authority. Mm -hmm. And he likens that to Jesus, too, recognizing what Jesus says all throughout the Gospels, that he was sent by his father in heaven uh, to hear and that he Jesus was here to do the work of God, uh, his father. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's quite an astute understanding that the centurion has of Jesus and his work on earth as the son of God. It's mm-hmm. a good point. Will you, do you want to keep us going here yes. with the next section? Yes, the, the, the next section here. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, turning to the crowd that followed him and said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. <laughs> and I found this uh, actually, uh, you know, comical in one sense that he here he's just named his 12 disciples, the people who will study under him uh-huh. because they he has seen in them some character that will um, will understand and spread the gospel. Mm. And, um, and yet he turns around and tells them that he has not seen faith like this um, in all of Israel. And this is the faith of a Gentile. Yeah. Now let's remember that he's not of, in the Jewish community. Um, he's not a believer. Um, he he's, has no background in the belief, but he does believe. Yeah. And I think it's also really interesting that this is in contrast to those in the crowd and among the Jewish elders who um, who ought to believe, but they don't. Yeah, or they're struggling to understand Correct. what those beliefs mean. Yeah, mm-hmm. you, you kind of yeah. wish you could see the faces on all of them when Jesus gives them that nasty little, or at least <laughs> they might have felt it nasty that he hadn't seen any faith in Israel right. the way that he was seeing displayed there. Yep. Uh, yeah, Jesus was... Uh, Admiring the humility of one man while creating humility (laughs) (laughs) in in some others. And I like the point that you brought out that that there's great contrast between the centurion and the Jewish elders here, where Mm -hmm. on one hand, the centurion is telling Jesus, I'm not even worthy to have you in my house. I just trust in your authority to Mm -hmm. do what you will. The Jewish elders, on the other hand, were the ones who were pretty quick to tell Jesus exactly what to do. Yes. You know, Jesus, you need to come and do this this yes. thing for this guy because he's worthy of it. Right, um, right. It is a, a fascinating contrast mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. But something that I think is important in this story, and this is this is one of the reasons that I was excited to, to put these two stories together, is that it is sometimes... 
um, misunderstood about the role of faith in healing. Mm-hmm. And I think it would be a wrong interpretation of this story to say that because the centurion displayed such incredible faith that Jesus then healed him or mm-hmm. healed his servant, um, because it's tempting to want to use faith as a currency mm-hmm. to think that if we have enough faith, then mm-hmm. certainly God will do what we want him to do. Mm-hmm. Or if we demonstrate enough faith, that will honor God in a way that he'll then Um, react in kind or something. And if we stop and think about it, I don't think most of us would want to express that feeling of faith as a currency, but it's it's tempting to think that way. Uh, But what we're about to see in the next story is that sometimes Jesus healed people simply out of compassion and faith didn't even really enter into the picture. Mm -hmm. Uh, Michaela, do you want to read the next story for us, verses 11 through 17? Sure. Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came up and touched the bier, and the bearers stood still, and he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread throughout the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. Hmm. I, I love that story. What I just think it's story. Yes. so beautiful. I mean, you just picture Jesus and the disciples and this great crowd walking into the town and then coming upon this funeral procession. Mm-hmm. And this considerable other crowd is supporting the weeping widow, this mm-hmm. mother who had just lost her only son. And and just the idea that this is a widow helps us to to understand and empathize with this poor woman that... We know she's already lost her husband, and now she's lost her only son on top of that. Yes. And the text doesn't say anything about if Jesus and the crowd knew anyone there, or even if a single word was even spoken between them. Mm -hmm. All it says is that he saw her. And then as verse 13 said, he had compassion on her. Mm -hmm. I think I read um, in a, um, that it translates to that word in, um, in the Bible translates to his heart went out to her. And um, it wasn't in any way like a pity type of a feeling that he had towards her, but he really uh, felt um, her sense of loss and um, probably the worry that she had for her future. Mm -hmm. And then the first thing that he says to her is do not weep. And I think you know, I'm just kind of imagining that the scenario where she sees a man who is followed by a crowd of people. She probably has no idea who he is. Mm. And he stand, he stands there watching um, the funeral procession, and he has this look of compassion mm-hmm. and sadness mm. and understanding towards her. And then he walks over to her and says, don't cry. Yeah. Can you imagine how she must have been wondering, who are you? Yeah. You know, it's um, probably leading up to the funeral. People probably were um, were sympathizing with her, but not telling her to not cry because they understood why she was sad. But yet this person tells her not to cry. Yeah. And then his next act explains why. is mm. because he restores what she has lost. Yeah. 
which no one could have seen coming. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, how remarkable when he walks over and just touches the beer, the, the coffin that this young man was on and mm-hmm. tells him to arise and he does. Mm-hmm. I mean, that would have been a big freak out moment yeah. I would think, for, yeah. for most right. people. Right. But it, and, and he started to talk, which I'm kind of curious, what did he say? Yeah. Right? <laughs> the first thing, <laughs> you're risen from the dead. Yeah, um, when verse 16 says, fear seized them all. Yeah. Like, no kidding. <laughs> 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 but then they're glorifying God mm-hmm. and uh, and and spreading the the news that God has visited His people. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that I love most about this is that, in contrast to the first story of great faith, in this story, faith isn't necessarily even present here. Right. The widow didn't ask Jesus to do anything. The people around didn't ask Jesus to do anything about mm-hmm. this. It just simply was an act of Jesus's compassion. Mm-hmm. And I just think that's so beautiful. And and even if we apply this to the centurion's st- story as well, mm-hmm. Jesus's act to heal the centurion's servant was also an act of compassion. Yes. And I think faith is, as we were saying before, it's not necessarily the currency that we use to try to get God to do what we want to do, mm-hmm. but it's the recognition mm-hmm. that God is a God of compassion. Mm-hmm. And that our faith can help us to trust that he will do what is ultimately best. And right. maybe that's healing in some cases. Maybe it's just giving us the, the capacity that we need to keep going another day. Yes. But that he is a God of compassion. Yes. You know, he, Jesus did um, heal and forgive sins and raise people from the dead because he responded to people's faith in him. Not as a reward, for their faith, but in response to their faith. Mm-hmm. And in fact, in um, I believe in, in what we've talked about before in the book of Luke, before this passage, he even forgave a paralytic and healed him because of his friend's faith. Mm-hmm. And, um, and as you said, faith is not a currency that we use to get what we want, but, um, but faith, because um, I think if we believe that we can use faith to get what we want, we're not only making God smaller than he is, but we're also doing a great disservice to other fellow believers who are going through pain and suffering. Mm-hmm. Well, and, I like that you brought mm-hmm. out what we had already studied in Luke 5 about mm-hmm. the healing of the paralytic, because in that story, yes, Jesus reacted to the faith of that man's friends, but he also made it very clear that what was important was that yes. he healed that man's heart. He first forgave his sins, yes. and then it was when the the Pharisees called him on that and said, "You know, what you can't do that. That's not your role." He's saying, "Actually, it is my role. Uh-huh. It is, I am here to forgive sins, but I'll heal this man physically so that you can see that." Yes. And he used the physical healing in that case as a way of demonstrating that he could do what people could see, mm-hmm. so that they could believe that he could also do what they couldn't see. Mm-hmm. And and uh, and I think many of the stories that we see about Jesus in healing in the Gospels are meant to be that kind of a story, that Jesus is doing remarkable things that were able to be seen and witnessed and explained and told mm-hmm. so that we would believe all the things that are true yes. about Jesus. Yes, and also I think um, that what these two stories uh, remind us is God does respond to our requests, 
but at the same time we have to remember he's working behind the scenes mm. even when we don't ask or we don't even know remember to ask for help that he is always at work in our lives and faith is important to him because um, as it says in the Bible it puts us in right relationship with God mm-hmm by faith, we can receive God's forgiveness and salvation, and ultimately, that's true healing and restoration. Mm-hmm. And true healing might not happen in this life yes. all of the time. It might be something that happens in our next life, mm-hmm. but the faith that we have in Jesus will get us to that ultimate healing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think while these stories of miraculous healings are beautiful to ponder, and I just love the the dimension of Jesus's compassion that comes out for in in the way I read it even more strongly than the faith mm-hmm. of of the people. I dare say that healing isn't that objective or the main point. Maybe mm-hmm. like we saw in the first week sometimes Jesus did do miracles just to be able to show people his power so that we could believe and trust him to do the more important things mm-hmm. like giving us the hope that yes. we need through him. Yes. But we know that God sees us and he mm-hmm. loves us. And he will live with us forever. Mm-hmm. And I think these miracle stories are beautiful vignettes that show us that the power of God is there to to sustain us, whether we're looking for it actively, like the centurion did, mm-hmm. or we don't even know to ask him for it, like right. the poor widow. Right. And Jesus calls us to simple faith, like the faith of a child, mm. and even as small as a mustard seed. Mm-hmm. But he wants us to believe. He wants us to trust in him. It's like walking into an airplane and just believing that you're going to go from point A to point B, (laughs) right? I mean, except for some people who know how to operate an airplane, (laughs) like you, Savea. Um, (laughs) um, Most of us just go on with just believing and planning around the fact that this plane will fly and get us to where we want want it to go. God wants us to have this faith in him. And and as I thought about this, I thought, well, how do we grow our faith? Um, How do we work on that? And... um, You know, like with anything, it's practice. But we learn to trust him, and we trust in him through the good things that we receive from him and through through difficulties and trials. Mm -hmm. We trust that he is at work, Mm -hmm. and that we um, think it's really important that we submit our will um, as and and letting God do what he needs to do in our lives. Um, People can know Jesus, and um, even it's as it says in Luke. Um, even the demons know that Jesus is the Son of God. Mm. But th- the thing that differentiates those people who just know Jesus and who can trust in him is that we submit our will, um, knowing that he is good and loving and mm. he is in control. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, kind of to wrap that all up with the, the theme that we're looking at all throughout this is what does it look like to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus? And I think these two stories do show us that fully devoted followers are people who are called to faith, mm-hmm. to have a great faith in Jesus, to believe that Jesus is who he says he is and that he can do what he says he can do. Mm-hmm. Uh, the centurion shows us that. But the, uh, the joy on the, the flip side of that, too, is that even when we don't feel like uh, we're always able to demonstrate that same kind of faith, yes. Jesus can just knock our socks off with his incredible compassion yes. because he is a God of love and a God of compassion who sees our heart, who knows what we're struggling with, who knows what things are hurting us, what things are terrifying us. Mm-hmm. But in his compassion, he will ultimately act 
to help us. Mm-hmm. Whether we're aware that he's working behind the scenes or not, he is there. Well, thank you for joining me today, Michaela. I'd love to pray as we close our time out together. That would be great. Dear Heavenly Father, your compassion is amazing. Thank you for these two stories that inspire us to be people of great faith, like the centurion, but also people of hope, like the widow who received such incredible compassion from you. Help us to have hearts like both of them. Help us to have hearts that want to just trust in your authority and are ready to say, we just trust you, God, to do what you say you can do. And at the same time, help us to be soft. And when you come to us with a heart full of compassion, that we would just be in awe of you and your beautiful character. We love you, Lord. In your precious name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Autumn Ridge Women's Podcast, a production of Autumn Ridge Church. We appreciate the technical assistance provided by Josiah Novinger, Ian Benoit, Robert Nash, and others from our wonderful staff. We'd love to hear your comments or questions on this or any other episode. You could reach us at women at autumnridgechurch.org.